Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a small business owner like me, you've probably been inundated by online coaches and supposed gurus who promise fat bank accounts overnight. So when I met Leah of Smart Gets Paid, I was so relieved to find a fellow business owner who just gets it. She really knows her stuff when it comes to the psychology and technology of sales and is a total straight shooter. My staff and I took her sales course signed, and it has completely changed the way we do business forever. Now she's offering Bossed Up listeners $500 off that very same program when you sign up with code BOSSEDUP at checkout. Plus, you'll be supporting this podcast at no extra cost to you. Learn more at smartgetspaid.com slash signed. Hello and welcome to Bossed Up the Podcast episode 44. This is Emily and today I want to ask you if you have ever considered being your own boss, launching out on your own, starting your own initiative, nonprofit or small business, because we're talking through the boss lifestyle that can support it. Today's episode features an awesome and wide-ranging interview with one of my favorite entrepreneurial gurus, a woman who really knows her stuff. She's been in the space for nine years. You might know her as Tara Gentile, but she recently got married and changed her name to Tara McMullen, something we touch upon in our interview today. And we're really sharing a lot of the behind the scenes journey that it took for both Tara and I to get confident enough to start our own ventures and iterate and learn a ton along the way. And while you might be a nine to fiver right now or someone who's pursuing a traditional career path, I too was in your shoes for many, many years of my life, many more than I have been founding and starting up and leading a company. So listen up for nuggets of advice for those of you who might even consider someday maybe starting your own thing, whether it's a community initiative or an actual for-profit business venture, today's episode is for you. And our great conversation was spurred on from this marvelous listener-submitted career conundrum from Kinsey. Take a listen. Hi, Emily. First, just want to say I love your podcast. My name is Kinsey, and I'm a grad student at Stanford University. But recently, I've been more and more intrigued by the idea of working for myself. However, I don't know where to start. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your journey in moving towards working for yourself and starting your own business and what kinds of resources people should look for if they're interested in the same thing. Joining me here to break this wonderful question down is Tara McMullen, who's the founder behind Co-Commercial, a support and social hub for small business owners online. 
You might also know Tara from her fantastic podcast called the What Works Podcast, on which she interviews small business owners to drill down on what's worked for them specifically. Entrepreneur named her one of the 24 female podcast hosts for business owners, and her site was named one of the top 10 sites every entrepreneur should bookmark by The Muse. She's a top money and life instructor on Creative Live, who's had her back over 12 times in the last five years to share her knowledge with their community. She's spoken at South by Southwest, Pioneer Nation, Digital Commerce Summit, Blogger, and so many other gatherings specifically addressing small business owners' struggles and how we can all achieve sustainable success. Tara, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, Emily. What's your first take on what it takes to be a business owner? Well, this is a huge question. First of all, I think that the path to entrepreneurship is a really smart path for anyone to take, and especially someone with a graduate level education, because jobs that kind of require that level of education now are both more competitive than ever. And also, I think a little shakier than ever, too. I mean, there's there's a lot happening in the job market right now. And so the idea that, you know, completing your degree, completing grad school, and then going out and getting a job is kind of the sure thing, the more secure bet to make in your career. I don't think that's true anymore. And I think that, you know, starting a business and figuring out how to create a livelihood for yourself is actually one of the smartest, most secure ways you can go about preparing for the rest of your life. So I wanted to get that out of the way first. That is such counterintuitive, but on point advice that I agree with, because there are significant risks when it comes to starting your business. But if you can figure out how to become of great value to many different kinds of people, talk about making yourself recession proof, right? I think we came up in a generation of folks who saw what it looked like for talented, smart, hardworking people to not be able to find a job. And I was just in our online courage community today where thousands of women from all over the world who believe in being the boss of their lives and careers were talking about this one issue. A woman said, I've been having no luck with my job search for six months and I'm wondering if I should get a graduate degree to solve that problem. And I hopped in there. I was like, I vehemently disagree with this. <laughs> so I'm so glad to hear you reinforce that because it's just not a guarantee. Yeah, absolutely. And I should say, too, I'm a huge proponent of higher education and advanced degrees. And at the same time, entrepreneurship is just such a phenomenal path that you can pursue concurrently, too, if that's what you want to do. And, you know, the recession proof thing that you said, I started my business at the beginning of the Great Recession. So, I mean, it is absolutely possible to create something for yourself to become of great value, as you said, and have that be a more secure path for yourself. So it's probably easiest to sort of solve this conundrum, as you put it, in terms of looking at the mistakes that people make when they think about starting a business when they go out on their own. So the first mistake I see people make is that they try to do all the things, especially now that we have such a huge amount, unprecedented access, really, 
to entrepreneurial resources, small business growth resources, you know, the number of people that are out there telling you to do all these different things to start your business. It's really, really tempting to kind of come up with a business plan for yourself where you're like, well, I'm going to do this, 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 that, and the other thing too, whether that's product development or service development or all of the marketing things or being on all the social media channels. And it is just too much. I think the best thing you can do when you're just starting out is realizing that this is a learning process. So you're at the very beginning. You don't have anything figured out yet. And that's okay. You want to embrace that. There are so many times now where I have a lot figured out, right? I've been doing this for almost 10 years. And I wish that I could go back sometimes to that point where I didn't know what I was doing and I was better for it, right? I just had someone in a program I run this past weekend for women who want to get into public speaking specifically and really want to package their genius in a profitable way. And all was going fine and dandy in this training until I started guiding folks through creating their first module or their first keynote speech. And one of my amazing, talented, oh-so-smart participants started breaking down And the breakdown was coming from this intense sense of, I don't know what I'm doing. And to me, that is definitional of starting your own business is I remember in year one of Bossed Up when I would be trying to make light of the very scary feeling that is just proceeding and not really knowing, having a lot of assumptions that you're testing, but not a lot of answers. I would say things like, well, it's not going to get any worse than this. Like the website is never going to look worse than it is this first time. My social media will never be worse than it is right now. And just saying, I'm going to start and this is only going to get better from here, right? It's just such a mental leap to be able to give yourself permission to start before you feel 100% ready. Exactly. It's an iterative process. And the more you can embrace each iteration and each step in that learning process, the better off you're going to be. And for my money, that means starting super duper simple. So claiming one thing as your own, one social media channel, one value proposition, one product or service, and just figuring that out first. Don't try and come up with a suite of products or services or offers. Don't try and be on every social media channel. Don't try every marketing strategy that every business guru says you need to do. Just start as simple as you humanly can. And I think the key to figuring out where to start is actually observation. And this is something that I have been huge on for years and years. And it's something I can't talk enough about. So it's it's awesome to have an opportunity to talk about it now. But it's, you know, just paying attention to what's out there. I think that when you're starting a business, you can become so sort of insulated and inward looking and trying to figure everything out because you don't know what you're doing. You stop paying attention to what all is out there. And when I say pay attention, sure, pay attention to people talking about small business, pay attention to people talking about freelance or whatever it is that you're doing. But most importantly, you're paying attention to the market. Pay attention to people who could potentially pay you to do whatever it is that you're good at. 
pay attention to them, talk to them, observe them, lurk a little, stalk a little. It's fine. (laughs) But what you're looking for is them airing some sort of need, whether it's a corporation that you're wanting to sell to, or it's an individual or a consumer that you're wanting to sell to. You need to look at where are they getting frustrated? Where are they trying to do things that you know how to do? Where are they missing information? Where are they missing skills? Where are they missing ideas that could help them become what they want to become? But if you don't observe closely what the initial market is that you're going to or that you think you're going to go into business around, you're totally going to miss the boat on what the opportunity is to create value and to earn money. And I also have seen a lot of folks go overboard on observation too, right? I love that advice, but I also want to make clear to folks like Kinsey, this doesn't mean you have to do grad school research paper level research. This could mean sitting down with five people in your target market and saying, hey, if you're not airing your grievances on the internet that I can find... What are your biggest pain points right now? What are your challenges? And just letting them do the talking, right? Sitting back and listening actively. And I have found one-on-one interviews with folks in my target market to be the most fruitful source of qualitative research that really adds to any quantitative research, like a survey that you can put out there and ask all your friends to do. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that unless you're really skilled at writing surveys or you're really skilled at doing that kind of research that you're talking about, you end up getting worse information than if you would just freaking talk to people, right? So just talk to people. Think about what they're telling you. Actually listen to it. I love that you use the term active listening because I think a lot of times people just, they want to hear what they want to hear, right? They want confirmation that what they thought was the good idea is actually the good idea. And really we need to go into these conversations just of complete blank slate looking for where frustrations are occurring, where people talk about their goals, where people talk about what they really want what they're really trying to do, and just kind of let it wash over you until you find a place where you can say, hey, I could help you with that. Let's give that a try. And I think that's kind of the next step is that you have to be willing to just say, well, let me help. Let me give this a try and see what happens. It doesn't have to be a grueling process of putting a price tag on something, coming up with a particular package. There's a time and a place for that. But at first, you just got to step in and say, hey, let me help and see what happens from there. I want to underscore and really go back to what you said earlier about focus, because I remember after doing some initial research, and I've done different amounts of research at different iterations of my business, it's inspiring to the point where you would like to answer all of their needs. (laughs) You're like, I can handle all of this. But I always say focus is a better predictor of success than intelligence and hard work alone. And just like you said earlier, if you can really drill down and say, I'm going to be a specialist, not a generalist. These are the specific kinds of people I am designed my business to help. That is going to enable you to really go deeper there instead of go shallow everywhere. Yeah, I completely agree. And I will own up to that one. My own biggest personal mistake in building my business has always been to try to help everyone. (laughs) I've developed things specifically for that purpose, to help as many people as possible. And if I were to go back and change one thing and only one thing, it would be to focus on a particular group of people and a particular need first, and then expand 
from there to help more people. So yes, I can't agree with that enough. That's so true. <laughs> like ditto on that front. Let me know more about how you got into your business to begin with, because I know you've been in business for a while now. Am I seeing nine years? Is that correct? Yeah, nine years, almost 10 years. Amazing. So for Kinsey, who is at the starting line, take us back to what that starting line looked like and felt like for you. Sure. So it's funny that Kinsey is coming out of grad school now because that was the path that I had been on. So my degree is in religious studies and there aren't careers for people with bachelors of arts in religious studies, right? So the natural next step, no matter what I wanted to do, was going to have to be a graduate degree. But my goal was to become a professor of religious studies and teach other people and research and write and think and do all of that fun stuff that I still really love to do. And so I applied to grad schools. I got accepted to my top choice school. I got a full scholarship. And a couple of weeks before I was supposed to go, I I had this huge, just crushing experience of anxiety and, you know, the chronic depression that I had lived through as many people have for many years kind of came flaring up in this moment of transition and change. And so I quit grad school before I even started. And I took a full-time job at a Borders Books and Music store where I had been working over the summer. And I kind of worked my way up the little corporate ladder that we had at our local store so that I was a manager of the store. And I kind of learned to love business in this environment because, you know, it wasn't a small business. We were doing $5 million a year. It was a big team of people to manage. And we had a lot of autonomy at the store level. So there were a lot of experiments that I could run and things that we could try with our team and just really cool projects that I could play with. And, and so business kind of started to become something really interesting. And at the same time, it was an incredibly high stress job for incredibly low pay. And so I got burnt out after about five years and I didn't know what to do. And it kind of coincided with the birth of my daughter. And so when she was born, I decided, you know what, I cannot do this anymore and decided not to go back. And at the time, my thought process was... I know other people are working for themselves. I know other people work from home. I know other moms work from home. They have skills. I have skills. If they can figure it out, I can figure it out too. And so I started doing exactly what we were talking about, which was kind of paying attention to what was going on and looking to see what are the needs out there? How do my skills line up with those needs? All of that good stuff. And ultimately, I went a completely different direction. But <laughs> that was where I started is just kind of observing and thinking about where my skills and my needs might overlap with someone else's or some other organizations. And so that was sort of how I jumped into entrepreneurship. But I had no idea what I was doing at the time and absolutely zero background or experience in business at all. Well, except for those five years of managing a $5 million well, yeah. business. <laughs> five years of management. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that because first of all, there's three main things I want to pick up on that you just spoke to. One is as someone who worked at a kiosk in the mall and experienced my first sales training, trying to push hair extensions on people walking by the mall. <laughs> I remember the feeling of looking back after having graduated basically from my mall life and my mall career to appreciating the real hardships that I'd gone through in those first few jobs. I mean, I started working in when I was 15 and knowing what work looks like and knowing what client facing, consumer facing 
sales positions feel like was incredibly valuable training that comes back 15 years later. (laughs) So to anybody who finds themselves in a job right now that they are underpaid, overworked, burning out from, totally not seeing yourself there for the next five years, know that you can take whatever you're learning there and apply it in a big way in a totally different environment moving forward. The second thing is let's talk about this impetus to start your own business when we become mothers. I see this happen a lot and I have a theory, I'm not a mother myself, but I'd be curious to hear what you think, that when women's identities experience this major shift, right, to not just thinking about and caring for ourselves, but all of a sudden there's this external being, it feels like there's our heart is outside of our body just walking around. Now we feel justified in pursuing the kind of financial opportunities I have a theory a lot of men wake up every day feeling justified to go pursue. (laughs) You know what I mean? All of a sudden moms are like, now is the chance. I'm going to put it all out there. I'm going to go for gold. I'm going to make this thing happen, not just for me, but for my young one. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think that's a great theory. My impetus in getting into business was less about financial reward and more about, I think, a sense of fulfillment through work and also wanting to be a role model for my daughter. And I think that most of the decisions that I've made over the last 10 years, whether it was ending my first marriage or starting my second marriage, or, you know, they have been in an effort to show her that not everything has to look the way it looks in a magazine, or it has to look the way, you know, other people's lives look, you can make different decisions for your own happiness, for your own sense of fulfillment, for the pursuit of the things that you're passionate about or interested in, or even just curious about. And so that, I think, was a big part of it for me and less about the financials. I mean, when I started my business, my goal was to earn literally a few hundred dollars a month. Like I knew if I could earn just a few hundred dollars a month based on my ex-husband's income, which was not a lot, we could be a little bit comfortable, right? We could pay the bills and we wouldn't have to pinch pennies. We could make smart decisions about, you know, a little splurge here, a little splurge there. I think it took me until about six to nine months into my business to really light up around the money piece and decide that I wasn't just going to make extra money, that I was going to make the money (laughs) and that I was going to figure out what the heck that looked like. Because for me at the time, like I think a lot of people my age, our age experienced growing up, the message that I got was you can do what you love. You don't have to earn a lot of money. And in my little chicken brain, I heard that as if you do what you love, you won't earn a lot of money, right? And so a whole bunch of that first, few, I would say few years being in business was reprogramming that to say, I can do something I love and I can make a lot of money. And that's a good thing. And speaking of being a role model for my daughter, I mean, that's the story I want her to hear. That's where I want her brain to go. Sure, you don't have to make a lot of money. That's, that is in no way qualitative about your life or your story or what you've done. However, you can do both. And if you want to, you should. So that took a lot of reprogramming. I mean, I think still I'm reprogramming things on the financial side of things, but that's my piece to your theory. (laughs) Well, I love it because it also speaks to how we can all have an 
impact on the next generation. And I basically view the entire world through a gender lens. So I can't help but see this as think about what badass little girls were raising when we show them what mama can do when we show them what a boss mama can do, whether it's taking huge risks or pursuing what you want because it's fulfilling or being deliberate about making bank, right? Like all of those options are now available to women. And now we're, we're seizing those opportunities and showing little girls, this is like totally normal. (laughs) There's nothing extraordinary about this. One other thing you mentioned that I think is really something that resonates with my audience in particular, because here at Bossed Up, we're not just striving for women to have more power and more money, which are great, right? I love all of those things, but also to craft a happy, healthy, and sustainable career for themselves. A lot of us struggle with mental illness and how we navigate that whether it's preventing burnout or just managing chronic illness, I'd love to hear as an entrepreneur, especially someone who went from a communal environment to working from home with a child alone, a lot of the time, I'm assuming, you know, what did that look like in terms of managing your mental health while making that kind of a transition? Yeah, that's such a great question. I don't know that my answer is going to be super duper helpful. But for me, managing that transition was a breeze because starting my business and kind of realizing that a new level of fulfillment and a new level of kind of self-agency almost completely cleared up my depression immediately. Now, I will also totally own up to, I certainly had medical help around that too. So while I was pregnant, I started taking an antidepressant because my doctor was super duper vigilant and absolutely amazing. She's absolutely amazing to be watching out for signs of depression then. And, you know, at the moment I said, you know what, things aren't quite right. They took care of me. I felt I started to feel great again. I started to take better care of myself. Let's say that was January 2008. By January 2010, I was totally off the medication. So about a year after I started my business, I just didn't need it anymore. I was totally even. My moods were even. I'm not going to say that over the last decade, I haven't had ups and downs. I certainly have. I've done a lot of life transitioning in the last 10 years too. And also my business has been something that has kept me, even when it's hard, even when it causes its own anxiety or its own stress, it's something that has kept me fulfilled in a way and and kind of moving forward in a way that's allowed me to better manage my own mental health without, you know, the need for extra help, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I mean, to be clear, neither of us are doctors. So everyone's mental health is different. Everyone's medical situation is very unique. But just recognizing what an integral role our health and well-being plays and how vigilant we have to be when we're the ones who are starting and running businesses is a key takeaway here. Because It's hard to take big risks in general. It's especially hard to take big risks and manage that if you're dealing with anxiety and depression or bipolar disorder, any of the smorgasbord of mental health issues that many of which disproportionately affect women. And so being hypervigilant for ourselves, especially and if you aren't lucky enough to have that kind of a badass doctor looking out for you is so critical for anyone making that leap. Yeah. And I'll take it even a step further too. Uh, about a year and a half ago, when we decided 
that co-commercial was what we really wanted to build. We wanted to build a network of easy access for people, you know, to talk to other entrepreneurs and, and find out what was working, what wasn't working, get the benefit of other people's experience. I knew I needed to step into my CEO role in a whole new way. It meant managing people. It meant creating value outside of the work that I did. It meant me kind of stepping into a different role, essentially, in my business. So I looked around at the kinds of CEOs that I wanted to be like, um, the kinds of people they were, the habits that they had, the routines that they had, the way, you know, their lifestyles, really, the way they managed themselves. And one thing was glaringly obvious. They all took really good care of their physical health. They were super active. They worked out on a regular basis. There were disproportionate amount of CrossFitters in the segment of people that I was looking at. And I was like, man, uh, I wish that I could be the kind of person that was that disciplined, that was that into physical fitness, but let me give it a try. And so in January of last year, I just started, you know, little bit by little bit going for a walk in the morning instead of, you know, having an extra cup of coffee. And then, you know, okay, let's try jogging in the morning instead of walking. And then I started climbing and then I started lifting weights and then I started running many miles instead of a couple of miles. And it has added up to where, again, my mental health right now, my resiliency, my ability to manage stress and anxiety is in a completely different place than it was 10 years ago. If I'm stressed out now, I go for a run or I go to the climbing gym or I go to the mountains. And that to me has also been a huge benefit of up leveling in my business. So those two things kind of go hand in hand, whether it's mental health or physical health or the health of your business. I think all of it works together. Yes. I'm like nodding my damn head off (laughs) over here because I can't help but relate to that experience because I started my business after having healed myself from burnout as well. And that looks like going from not being a runner and really shedding or resisting, I should say, that label. I'm not a runner. Who who is a runner, you know, to running my first 5K, which was a major achievement. And then over the course of the next two years, competing in an Olympic triathlon and all of this while I launched my business. And those two things were so related because breaking down a huge, seemingly insurmountable goal into tiny chunks and action steps, those are the same skills, whether you're applying them to your business or your physical well-being and challenging yourself to continuously be put in that iterative cycle is so wonderfully interconnected. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. And Kinsey, take note, right? All of our boss ladies who are listening, whether you're pursuing a career in the corporate sector or a nine to five type job career or want to start your own thing, you can't pour from an empty cup as Oprah says, (laughs) but it's more like you've got to build yourself a platform off which to launch. So another component of wellness that you touched upon that I think is related to, because here at Bossed Up, we like to say work, love, and wellness are connected. Let's talk about love, if you will. I don't know if you were signing up for that when you're like, yeah, I'll talk about business on the pod, but we share a history of leaving a relationship that we entered into in a really, I would say, weak state. And I'd love to hear more about how you think exiting your first marriage impacted your wellness overall or your business ability to put those boss pants on 
and sort of take charge of your life and what entering this second marriage means to you because I'm on the cusp of doing that for the first time in two weeks or maybe even a week. And I'm curious to hear how your perspective on marriage has shifted from one to your second. Yeah, it's a great question. So I started my business while I was still married to my first husband. He was supportive, if not understanding. So he was like, as soon as I could show him like the PayPal receipts, like, look, I made some money today, right? He was like, okay, I get it. enough. (laughs) Or like, I understand why you want to go out in the evening or get out of the house in the evening and go type on your computer for a while. Like, okay, fine, fine. And then he really started to understand when I started to make a lot more money than he did. But at the same time, there were a lot of challenges to navigating the dynamics between the two of us. When we split up and I started doing my own thing, there was a process of kind of rebuilding and reexamining and analyzing things. Then once I've met my now husband, he has been 110% supportive from the get-go. We do not have weird power dynamics. He's like, yes, please, you do that thing. (laughs) And I will do this other thing over here. It works very beautifully. Um, but I think his support and being in this, the relationship that I'm in now has allowed me to pursue opportunities, take bigger risks, even though like there's more pressure on me now, there's more that I own that I am in charge of now. His support allows me to take bigger risks and, and just kind of knowing that even if everything falls apart, we're going to be okay. It's going to be fine has been hugely helpful. Well, I think it's, such a good reminder that being mindful about who, whether we're talking romantic partners or platonic friends, family, et cetera, who we surround ourselves with absolutely impacts our businesses. And I I like the way you frame that in terms of it frees you to be more risk tolerant. And there's something very true to that from a mental standpoint, not just a financial standpoint. So I don't want anyone to just think, oh, I can't start my own business because if it fails, I don't have a husband to like pay for dinner or a wife to cover the mortgage. It's more like the mental fortitude that comes from knowing there's this part of your life where you will gain a sense of love and belonging and unconditional support, even when you suck at work (laughs) or even when you fail (laughs) miserably in your business. And to me, that was like a huge mental necessity from the get-go. It's what I call having a courage community, right? Having people who you can go to even when you're on top of the world, but especially when you're feeling like the world's on top of you (laughs) and gain that sense of, okay, at least this is good. At least I have this sense of belonging and, and, and connection to see me through. Yeah, totally, totally. So I want to close this out with asking you about co-commercial specifically, because it is interesting, especially for our listeners who are interested in starting their own small businesses. It's interesting to hear about how you have designed a community to be of service to small business owners, not just your Tara McMullen, the small business guru, although you are, but it's more like, how have you set up systems and structures and a community that's sort of self-regulating or self-sustaining? How did you make that happen? And, and what have you seen 
be most useful to the small business clients that you have at Co-Commercial? Yeah. So there's been sort of a theme throughout my work and the way I've set my work up over the years so that even when I was the business coach or the business strategist, my goal was to get people together and get them talking to each other, working together so that they could trade experiences because I could see that the vast majority of them were isolating themselves in their home office. They were isolated in their friend groups as probably being the only business owner or only freelancer in their friend groups. They were isolated from their community small business groups because they felt like no one understood what they were doing online and and kind of on their own and in new industries. And so I I just wanted them to talk to each other because I could see, all right, small business owners who talk to each other succeed and small business owners that don't talk to other small business owners fail. Like it's very clear and obvious that this is what happens. It had always been a theme. But in the last year and a half, like I said, we really made it the focus. This is what we do. This is what we're all about. Um, And it, it really comes down to, for me, changing the culture around small business learning, small business training, small business development, especially in the online space. The way it is right now, it's super hierarchical. It's super kind of almost personality cult driven. It's super just velvet ropey, right? Like it's just, there's them and there's everybody else and there is no we, there is no us. And so co-commercial is all about creating a more generous, more open, um, more experienced-based culture around small business growth and development. Because in this new economy, where we're headed in, in this country, especially, but all over the world, we need to be working on these things together. So to your point about how we've created sort of the ecosystem around that, I think it's half leading by example and half creating strong structures and policies and protections that work with us leading by example, right? So just as a, for instance, one of our posting guidelines, one of the things that we tell people is to not ask for advice and to not give advice. Advice tends to create those hierarchical structures. Advice tends to shut conversations down. And so instead, we ask people to share their experience and ask for other people's experience. If you're asking just like, what should I do in this situation? You're going to get all sorts of info that's out of context, that's not helpful to you. But instead, if you could say, this is my situation, what would you do in this situation? What have you done in this situation? What have you seen work in this situation? It creates that culture that is much more open, much more generous, and much more helpful because you can actually then rely on your own creative, your own analysis, your own ideas to come up with your own solutions. And I think that's where the magic really happens. And now it's time for today's Boss Moves Moment of the Week. Hey, Emily, it's Candace calling from Nova Scotia, Canada, and I just wanted to share my Boss Move of the Week. I first want to say how much I love the podcast, and I love John Smithy as well. And one of the greatest things about the Boss Up podcast is that while maybe not every single topic is of relevance to me right now, I can definitely see that it would be useful later. I decided to accept this new job somewhere else. And when I gave notice last week, one of the things I did was listen to your June 12th episode about quitting with grace. So my boss move of the week, which is really a month-long process, was I allowed myself to get wooed because there were lots of things about the new job that were more exciting. And while I was happy at my job, there were, when I was offered something else and something different, it made me realize there were lots of things that I wanted that I didn't even know. 
We are cheering you on, boss, and thank you so much for sharing your come up. You really never know who you're inspiring when you dare to share. If you've got a boss moves moment you want to share or a career conundrum or really life conundrum you want us to tackle on the podcast next, give my hotline a ring right now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. There you can leave a voicemail and... Take it from the top as many times as you want. Don't worry about making it perfect. We really just want to hear your voice because you are the reason I keep creating this show. And speaking of bossing up, for any of you who want to hang out IRL and get bossing at our most popular signature program, I'm bringing Bossed Up Bootcamp back to the nation's capital this September 29th and 30th. We have about 10 spots left for you to join us. So register now and get all the details at bossedup.org slash bootcamp. And for those of you who've been hearing about our trainer team program, I'm bringing that program to New York City in September too. It's a one-day training that's a really intimate setting with just me up there presenting all about how to hone your public speaking skills, how to learn to develop excellent curriculum for adult learners, and finally, how to build your business as a public speaker and really make money sharing your gifts and talents with the world. If that sounds like a program that would be right for you, apply to join me at bossstep.org slash trainer team. I'll put the links and more details in the show notes. And if you've got any questions about those, you can always hit me up on social media or email, and I'd be happy to answer them. I can't wait to get Boston with you this fall after taking a lot of time off this month when Brad and I will be getting hitched and taking a solid two-week vacation around our big day. I'm excited to hit the ground running in September when I will be traveling every single week, sometimes twice a week in September for all the speaking and training and workshops and fun stuff we've got going on. So stay tuned. Make sure you're a subscriber at bossedup.org on our email list because that's where I make these announcements first, and you'll always be an inside boss and get the inside scoop. So I want to hear from you. What did you think about my interview with Tara McMullen today? What did you think about Kinsey's great question? Are you in her shoes? Are you considering starting your own thing? What are some of the fears or challenges that are holding you back from diving in? And what really stood out to you in terms of Tara's experience and my experience as entrepreneurs that you think can apply to your life and business moving forward? I want to hear about it on social media at Emily Aries or at Boss.org. And of course, in the comments section at our blog at bossedup.org slash episode 44. That's where you'll find all the related links and show notes as well. And if you're not already part of the Bossed Up Courage community, make sure to join us there on Facebook now or sign up at bossedup.org so you'll get a special invitation via email. That's where our community members are constantly sharing experiences, sharing tips and tricks that have worked for them, sharing their struggles and their strategies for bossing up in work and in life. I hope to see you there. In the meantime, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose. And together we'll lift as we climb. Let's face it. 
Speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup. 